FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, Canadian Jungle Book Venable. <laughs> and you know what that means? It's time for a flashback. That's right, we're back for a flashback. Yeah, um, this is uh, the Summer Clearance 1990. So what we're going to do is we're just going to clear the plate of some books from the summer of 1990, well, or, or thereabouts. Don't. Don't hold me to it. Don't pin me to the dartboard. But, um, is that a thing? Is that a saying? It should be. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was going to run through a few books, play a little catch-up, and get ready for, you know, another episode. This will be a solo bolo, just me today, and it'll probably be a hair on the short side. I'm not going to rush it or anything, but, you know, these, these books are not bad, but they're not necessarily legendary. Um... Yeah, so that's kind of what we're going to do. So we're just going to talk through some books, some some X-Men, um, some Wolverine solo stuff, and we'll even do a little saber-tooth catch-up. So that'll be fun, right? Yep, I say it will. So my podcast, what I say goes. <laughs> oh, man. First up, Uncanny X-Men number 261, which is kind of an interesting transitory, transitionary book um, of Mavestri's last pencils. And we also have Jim Lee on the cover, not immediately, but, but pretty quick be taking over the penciling duties on the book. He's already done a fill-in issues um, and been doing covers. So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And I, this, So this book kind of, you know, has them both involved in different ways. Um and the Jim Lee cover is freaking awesome. Um, I don't know if Claws, they usually slice more than smash, but it's still a cool visual. And Wolverine hacking his way through the wall and Psylocke just kind of standing behind him like, all right, you got this. And then we have the ferocious introduction of Hardcase and the Harriers. And they've taken, uh, I don't know, those Mac-10s maybe. 80s Jason, or, or even early 90s Jason would have known. He knew his gun. Uh, now I don't care for guns. But anyway, I, I'm not, not a soapbox. Just whatever. We'll talk about something. Let's talk about something else. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it looks like Jubilee's been shot uh, through the gut maybe. But anyway, this is a great cover. Uh, yeah, it's just, man, Wolverine is awesome. As he's kind of sliced through the wall. He's got a great face. Psylocke just looks cool. What? And, um, hard case, maybe, maybe he has a hard time seeing. He's squinting. <laughs> and now I'm just nitpicking. It's really an awesome cover. It's really, really cool. And yeah, and we have Sylvester on the inside. So this, uh, this particular chapter is Harriers Hunt, introducing hard case and the Harriers, uh, written by Chris Claremont, pencils by Mark Sylvester, ink by Dan Green. I'm going to miss saying that. Oh, bummer. Um, letters by Tom Orchachowski. Colors by Mike Witz. 
And a hard case in the Harriers, of course, created by Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri, which is kind of weird, right? That you got to think it's kind of spurred of the moment, right? They were just kind of sitting around like, hey, yeah, we'll do this. We'll, we'll make these back. Or not. Well, what, yeah, these guys. Because um, you would think it was, like it was something that Claremont had in his back pocket. Because we know he's going to eventually create characters, right? Um, it's probably had a hand in it already, but... You know, he'll eventually do his own creator-owned stuff, like, quite a lot, um, you know, down the way. Um, so you think if he was really sitting on this and wanting this, that he wouldn't necessarily throw it out on his last issue, that he'd save it for something, like, in his next job, you know, whatever that's going to be. <laughs> we know, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so, yeah, so, but anyway, they do. They they pull this team together, throw it in, and that's kind of where we are. Um so, basically, Hardcase and the Harriers, or the original Mercs with Mouse, get hired to bring in Wolverine, Jubilee, and Psylocke. Our trio is hanging out in Madripoor where Jubilee makes a scene, and Psylocke has a real argument with Wolverine's imaginary friends, Carol Danvers and Nick Fury. But then the Harriers show up to ambush them. Meanwhile, Banshee and Forge creep around uh, Old Mansion X, trying to decide if Mora can be trusted. Forge is also going to try to come up with a way to detect the X-Men. Oh, and I guess the Harriers kidnapped Wolverine. That was super easy. <laughs> so they use them as bait to trap Psylocke and Jubilee, but they have a trap of their own. Jubilee dresses up as a pizza boy and delivers some pies to the Harriers, allowing Psylocke to sneak in. When her cover gets blown, Jubilee shoots some sparks and frees Wolverine from his cage. The Harriers eventually get the drop on Jubilee and Psylocke until... Snicked! Uh-oh, turns out Wolverine hired the Harriers to chest Jubilee and to see if Psylocke was Psylocke, if he was legit. Which explains why he was captured so easy, I guess. So, pizza party! <laughs> yeah, that's got it. It, really. Um... There's, there's a cool, like, thing on page nine. Yeah. Where, you know, they're trying to figure out if Psylocke can be trusted. Um, you know, Wolverine and Jubilee aren't sure. They want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but you just just don't know. Um, and then Jubilee has a point. At some point in the book, uh, page 25, uh, Wolverine refers to her as... Is a, or no, Psylocke refers to Jubilee as Wolverine's sidekick. And Jubilee's like, uh, Wolverine should be the sidekick. I saved him. She has a good point. Maybe Wolverine really is the sidekick in that scenario, in that team up. Um, all right, so I want to talk about just the theme kind of, well, no, I'll, I'll give some examples as, as case evidence of what I'm about to say. So, um, Silvestri, ending his uncanny run. We're not done with him. Uh, he'll show up on the Wolverine solo series here in a bit. But um, he's done on Uncanny X-Men. And I'm really interested to see because I knew I loved his art back then. And turns out I still love it now. And I don't know. I, I think Cameron and I have talked about, as we've gone through a lot of these issues, how surprised we were and didn't really remember how kind of funny and cheesy he could be at times. Like, really great, serious art. Like, action, really good action. Character moments. But then kind of had some of the slapstick, slap, slapstick stuff kind of mixed in. And really kind of... 
that didn't really stick in 12-year-old Jason's memory. I probably was like, ah, you know, whatever. But looking at it now, it's been really entertaining, and I've really loved it. And there's several examples in this book, um, one of which is page 6, where Jubilee is, is trying to eat a Chinese dish, and she's like, no, I'm from America. I don't, what's going on here? And these these shrimp better all be dead, and one pops in the bowl, like is hanging over the bowl, and it drops in. And she's like, ah! <laughs> they have that um, on page 8, and she kind of throws a fit, and that's funny, and then she has a, a chef pan brought out, and they take the lid off like a hotel room service, and it's McBurgers. So that was kind of funny. Um, page 13, uh, Forge and Banshee are running around the basement of the mansion and the lights go out and they bump into each other and there's stars and comic curse words and Forge finally gets the lights back on and Banshee's, you know, got like stars around his head. You know, very like Looney Tunes, right? So, um, another example of kind of some silly art. I realize as I'm saying these, maybe not all of them are hilarious, but they are silly. <laughs> and we have some blam, blammo, poppity pop pop. Some lots of onomatopoeia, almost Batman style with Jubilee's powers. Um, and then on 25, there's a, she sets a guy's pants on fire. I guess he was a liar. Um, and he's running around, and one of the other hard case terriers is trying to pour a bucket of water on his butt. But he's got he's running around with smoke coming out of his little tushy. So just those kind of like light moments. And an otherwise kind of serious book. Um, well, this, this particular issue wasn't super serious, but I mean, you look at the look at the cover, right? You have like the hard case and the Harriers all scowling, making these awesome Jim Lee faces, and Jubilee looks like she took a bullet to the gut, and Wolverine and Psylocke are ready to kick some ass, and it's like okay. And then in the interior art, you have a, a fun mission with lots of just kind of silly sound effects and cartoony Saturday morning cartoony like effects, but not art style. Anyway, it's just a real mix, and it kind of speaks to what Sylvester did. And I'm really curious to see if that continues in the Wolverine solo series, because I was flipping through some old Cyberforce recently, and there's not as much of that, but there's a little bit, right? Um, I bring it one of the guys is like, I think it's Blitzcrag, maybe the name? I can't believe I remember that. Um, <laughs> I probably read those first five or ten issues like a hundred times, you know, before I jumped out of comics for a while um anyway like it's kind of funny has you know weird accent and kind of does some goofy almost Schwarzenegger tropey things um so yeah so I mean there's a little bit of it, but I don't remember it from the Wolverine book but then you also have stuff like you know uh LCD and um uh <sighs> I'm an idiot um <sighs> he was just in Hunt for Wolverine, and we talked about it, and I talked about it, and now, Arth not Arthur, um, oh, jeez, Louise. Anyway, uh, Cyborg Wolverine. Um, so, you know, it, there's some silly stuff in the run. I'm just curious what, what his art looks like, because I remember him being more serious. Apparently, my memory was wrong. And like I said, that's part of the, probably the lens I was reading it through at the time. And now I'm more appreciative of kind of the silly nods to things. Um, yeah. 
Anyway, um, the art is good, but not great, especially for Sylvester. It's kind of a bummer of his last issue um, overall. Um, the story is silly, but it's pretty fun. But I think overall, um, I don't know. This issue doesn't really do much to propel the story forward. I'm going to give it a three out of six claws overall. All right, cool. So that kind of catches us up and gets us ready for whatever's going to happen next in Uncanny. So now we have a few Wolverine solo issues. Um, kind of Summer Vacation in Madripoor. Almost kind of a Tales of Madripoor. Little three-issue run with no real continuity necessarily. Just kind of three individual stories. And I like that concept, and it could have worked really well, but we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, so first up, we have Wolverine 24, which is one of my favorite covers. It's uh, Jim Lee... And he's in an alley in Madripoor, his claws reflecting in the night, lots of shadow, black and blues. And then behind him, though, is lots of neon, and like a green and yellow skyline with a bunch of neon signs and, and an Asian language. I mean, it's Madripoor, so I guess I can't assume it's Japanese. It definitely looks kind of that way. Kind of looks like a Tokyo scene, almost. Um, anyway, it's a fan-fantastic cover. I love it. Um, so this story is Snowblind, written by Peter David, art by Gene Colan, letters by Jim Novak, colors by Mark Chiarello, and, and, oh, yeah, that's it. So, um, in this story, the assassin Snow Queen is in Madripoor on a job, but a street kid steals her briefcase. He hides and opens it to find American money, is green like American money. Anyway, and a radio he tries to play. It doesn't make any noise, so he thinks it's broken, but really it's a bomb, and he just armed it. Patch uh, doesn't take kindly to the Snow Queen trying to shoot at the kid, but she uses her perception slash vertigo powers to escape. Patch goes to the ringleader of the beggar kids for answers. Snow Queen finds the boy, but so does Patch. Rooftop battle ensues. A woman gets lost in her static power and goes down but lashes out with his claws and cuts her best gun. She's mad about that. The kid drops the briefcase and runs. Snow Queen escapes with the briefcase, which promptly blows her up because there was a bomb that got armed, and she just assumed it wasn't. (laughs) All right, well, um... Peter David kind of does some self-narration from the Snow Queen. He tries to do it kind of noirish, but it's not that good. Um, page seventeen. What did I write here? Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, <laughs> so he runs. He's he's trying to bust up the guy who's who's in charge of the the kid urchins, and um, he busts in there. He has to knock over a couple of. Kid, older kids, but still kids, and he's like, and they freeze. Tough guy Logan terrorizing kids for an encore. I'll dismember a smurf. Thought that was a funny line, you know, from Peter David. Um, this art is okay. You know, I've been doing my '60s Marvel read through, and you know, mid to late '60s, Gene Colan does a lot, and his art is fantastic. Um, his '80s stuff. His 70s stuff is pretty good, too. I like, you know, didn't he do a lot of DC stuff in the 70s? It's pretty great. Um, anyway, his 80s stuff is just really loose, and that's fine. But it's, I mean, it works okay in this issue. Um, 
for this story, I like the irony, right, of the lady's trying to get her briefcase back, but the kid accidentally set the bomb, and she finally gets it back just in time for it to blow her to bits. And that's, that's good irony. Unfortunately, and I like Peter David a lot, usually, but unfortunately this issue, the dialogue is pretty terrible. Um, so I like I like the tales of Madripoor approach. I think it's a good concept and a good way to kind of take a break in the book and just tell these, these individual Madripoor stories. It's pretty cool. Um, but the Snow Queen is not very cool. <laughs> and I like Patch sticking up for the kids, but the creepy new ringleader gets off too easy because I've seen Slumdog Millionaire, and those guys are bastards. So why Wolverine just kind of like, all right, tell me what you know, and I'm going to let this all just continue on. Not real sure. Um, but, you know, we've also had issues where he talks about the Madripoor status quo and not upsetting the apple cart, so it is kind of Patch's M.O. for better or worse. So, you know, I have that on one hand, but on the other hand, kids. Just not cool. Stuff that messes with kids bothers me. If you haven't noticed that from the podcast before, um, yeah, well, there you go. Um, so I didn't really enjoy this issue. Concept, good. Comic, not great. Um, I'm going to only give it two out of six claws, but six out of six for that cover. <laughs> All right. Well, now we go to Wolverine 25, which is... Air Raid, but air like a hair, like a hair. <laughs> uh, no, like an, like an heir to a fortune or whatever. Anyway, this is uh, written by Joe Duffy. Art, John Pusima is back. Uh, letterer, Ken Brosniak. Colors, Glennis Oliver. Um, and another great Jim Lee cover with Kid Wolverine in a big blue cape surrounded by wolves and in the foggy shadow behind him. Adult Wolverine, arms crossed. Disapprovingly. <laughs> Another awesome cover. We've had on this episode, not necessarily in, in running order, but three awesome Jim Lee covers in a row. That's pretty cool. All right, so in this issue, Mr. Morrow is in Madripoor, whom Logan owes a favor from a past life. On the brink of a Madripoor gang war, Moro calls to collect, not for muscle, but to protect his son Gabriel. So he wants Wolverine to babysit him. He just has to protect him through the night while this big fight's going on. Um, and then, then they're square. So Gabriel asks for a bedtime story. Logan tells a tale of Canada and a young boy named Logan who was lost in the wintry wilderness. Little Logan was adapted was adopted Jungle Book style by some actual Wolverines. And uh, Little Logan was like a little Wolverine, basically. But Little Logan was captured by some fur trappers. His Wolverine family tried to save him as the hunters shot them one by one. Angered, possibly berserker, maybe? Uh, Little Logan busts out and kills the hunters. Saving his family, or what's left of him. The end. All right, so that's his story. Excuse me. Back in the house, Logan hears someone trying to sneak in. Logan takes out the would-be assassin, saving the boy. Morrow and his men come home, and their rivals hot on their tails. Logan had vowed to stay neutral, but the attempt on a kid's life changes minds. See, Wolverine's like me. Don't mess with kids. Um, and he ends up saving Morrow's family. 
So, page one, uh, there's a pretty cool little, little blurb here where it says, Madripoor, small island, nation of the Pacific, land of whatever you want, it'll cost you, home with a treacherous, less than brave, whose prince is blind and deaf when it suits him, apt to become a player whenever he smells a prophet. My kind of place. Anyway, I like the uh, the play on Land of the Free and Home of the Brave, kind of the Madripoor National Anthem. And plus, it's great art, because Wolverine's walking down a dark street, and behind him is an actual Wolverine. Maybe Jonathan? I don't know. Um, it's just a really, really cool opening page. Uh, page three uh, talks about... Um, what does he say? Um... Oh, so he gets in the house. He's going to visit Mr. Morrow, and he gets into the house, and Mr. Morrow's like, how did you get in here? Um, or no, no, he had a tail, sorry. <laughs> All these books are kind of running together. Um, so he had he had a tail on his way over there, and Mr. Morrow's like, what? They saw you? Ugh. And he goes, oh, they weren't too bad. I'm just better. So I thought that was a cool line. Oh. Yeah, so he basically says, I don't care if they follow me. I can take care of them. That's basically what he says. Um, in page 20, uh, someone calls Wolver- or Little Logan a runt. Or no, no, he's, that's not right. Um, Wolverine, or Patch, is talking about how he was a runt, or the kid in the story was a runt. Um, it says, when you're a runt, there's plenty to be afraid of. All you can do is the best you can with the size you are and the guts you've got. And the little kid's like eating it up, right? Like, oh, I'm a little kid, but I can be bad. Um, that's pretty cool. So anyway, the art in this story is great. It was nice to have Basima return to this book. Um, it was really just a welcome kind of, yeah, just kind of return to, to Wolverine solo series pace. Um, the story, I like the good, there's a good little uh, Wolverine Logan tale. Um Kind of begs the question, then, was this really a tale from Boy Logan's life? Because um, even with all the retcons, it could be. We don't see him kill the hunters, so we could have had bone claws. It's possible. Or could just be a story he made up, or an analogy for his life. I don't know. But, um, anyway, I actually really enjoyed this issue. This is kind of the better part of the Tales of Madripoor little series we have here. Um, and with Basima back and, and Duffy writing a pretty solid script, um, I'm going to easily give this four out of six claws. It's just a very sturdy, you know, I can even al- almost go five, not, oh man, could I? Um, it's definitely one of the, the better of the Wolverine issues we're going to talk about this episode. You know what? Why not? I'm going to do five out of six. That's Wolverine 25. All right. Trucking right along. Man, we are tearing up the track. <laughs> uh, Wolverine 26. Um, this one is Memory of Peace. Again, written by Joe Duffy. This time penciled by Klaus Jansen. Tom Palmer does the inks. Glennis Oliver, the colorist. And Jim Novak, the letterer. Uh, this is not a awesome Jim Lee cover. Uh, this is a cover by Klaus Jansen. I don't care for this cover or the dance that Wolverine is doing. Uh, it's not not my thing. Um, 
Yeah, so whatever. <laughs> All right, so in this story, uh, we go six days ago in Japan, Logan brutally cuts through some thugs who murdered his old friend Bando. Back in Madripoor now, Patch plays a high-stakes poker game with Claymore, using his senses to see through Claymore's poker face, his papa poker face. So Patch cleans up, and we get a flashback to pre-Weapon X Logan visiting Bando in Japan for peace of spirit. He admires an ancient tea bowl that is Bando's family heirloom. After cleaning Claymore's clock at cards, Patch will call it even for a priceless tea bowl he spies at Claymore's house. He wants to know where he got it. Claymore tells him and gets aggressive, so he gets tossed out of a high-rise window. Claymore, uh, it's in the UHF. Oh, man, who don't know fly? <laughs> well, Claymore no fly. Um, Patch visits the cellar, Bando's nephew, who had his uncle murdered so he could sell the heirloom. Wolverine ties up loose ends with his claws, and as he does, he takes the T-Bowl to Bando's grave. I like Klaus Janssen. Um, did some great stuff on Daredevil. Um, did some cool stuff on early Punisher issues. And is generally a really good artist. Um, this art in this issue is not very good. It's kind of weird looking in places. Um, on the first page, you get a really awesome double snick, but Wolverine looks kind of terrible, to be honest. Um, so it's just not, it's not great. I don't know what's going on, but I didn't love it visually. But the story is really good. I like this a lot. Um, so, yeah, two two good issues in a row by Joe Duffy. Um, oh, you know, I meant, I meant to say, so, uh, you know, back in Wolverine 23, at the end, we were promised a Todd McFarlane cover. So we did not get it on issue 24. But we, it's okay because we got that awesome Jim Lee cover in Madripoor right in the alley. It's just one of my favorite covers ever. So I didn't really miss it. I definitely could have used it on, on 26. And honestly, they shouldn't put it on 26 because instead they put it at the back of the issue and it's awesome. And it could have worked on this cover. I mean, it doesn't really fit the story, but, you know, whatever. But it's an awesome pinup uh, that that Tom McFarlane did for his unused Wolverine cover. And, um, yeah, it, it, it definitely could be a cover. Like, it's it's pretty great. So, yeah, awesome. Um, I'm going to give Wolverine 26. I really dug this story. So despite the fact that I didn't care for the art, I'm still going to give it four out of six claws. Um, and I got more of what I'm used to from Klaus Jansen. This would easily be... Five claws, easy, maybe even six. Um, yeah, so anyway, that catches us up with what Wolverine's doing this summer of 1990. Now let's catch up with Sabretooth and a couple of issues of New Mutants. And we are smack in the, the launch pad of Rob Liefeld's New Mutant run. Um, he's done a few issues and introduced Cable and things that are rocking and rolling. So we're going to talk about number 90 and number 91. So New Mutants number 90 is To Haunt the Hunter. Written by Louise Simonson. Penciled by Rob Liefeld. Inked by Hilary Barta. 
Letters by Joe Rosen and colors by Gwyneth Oliver. And the cover is, of course, by Rob Liefeld. And I think it's a really nice cover. Rob Liefeld foibles aside. And <laughs> funny enough, you don't see a single foot. Everybody's foot is obscured on this cover. Either by art or someone else's body or the barcode or a word bubble. <laughs> you see no feet. So in the old life-filled foot joke, um, I guess he kind of played on himself a little bit, or maybe someone said something to him and he got self-conscious. I don't know. But um, also you have the uh, long leg, no torso, like my old Deadpool action figure that I love. Um, and also uh, Cable is wearing the shortest little jacket I've ever seen. And he has his uh, CDR blank compact disc belt buckle that he sported back in 1990. Um, but nonetheless, it's a cool shot of the team, the New Mutants in their new costumes, which are pretty great. Um, Liefeld does a pretty good job with the costumes. Um, so I, I think overall, you know, foibles aside, um, it's a pretty great cover. So, we're going to catch up on Sabretooth. The last time we saw Sabretooth was in X-Factor, and he was fighting Archangel, and Caliban was looking for him to get revenge on the Mutant Massacre. Alright, so fresh off his clash with Archangel and X-Factor, Sabretooth is hunting Morlocks in the sewers, but Caliban is hunting Sabretooth. Dun, dun, dun! Meanwhile, Cable leads the new mutants to the ruins of Mansion X, where they intend to operate out of the basement. And they just missed Forge and Banshee. <laughs> Turns out the Xavier basement is pretty posh. Uh, meanwhile, Caliban continues his hunt, but just finds dead Morlocks, a trail of them. Back in the basement, Cannonball gets style goggles and Richter hints at past with Cable and his father. In the danger room, the, mu the new mutants fight TIE fighters. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, Rick melts down and snaps at Cable. He thinks about losing his father, and Cable thinks about losing his son. It's you know, really sad in a moment. Um, as the new mutants check out their new 90s costume, Rick runs away to the Morlock tunnels. He bumps into Caliban in their skirmish and draws out Sabretooth. He's like, oh, I want some of this. Um, Sabretooth cuts Rick and turns his attention to Caliban. Then Cable leads the new mutants into the tunnels to find Rick at the end there. Um, this page, I guess, two and three, we get a sideways double-page spread. Um... We have to, you know, you have to flip the book of Sabretooth hunting a Morlock and Caliban trying to find him. It's a really, really nice page of Sabretooth on the hunt. Liefeld does Sabretooth well. It's going to look a lot like his uh, future character Cougar in Young Blood. But still, I mean, can't blame a guy for knocking off his own character that he hasn't done yet. <laughs> his Sabretooth looks pretty badass. It's pretty good. Um... So, that one else. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. So, I'm I'm going to maybe surprise some people because I'm not going to bag on Liefeld. I generally like him. I find his art to be dynamic. I know it has problems and issues. But that said, um, there's, <laughs> I'm not a hater, but the first Danger Room panel is pretty bad. Let me find it here. I don't have page numbers. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things that like, oh yeah, yeah. 
So the team is in their new workout attire. First of all, Sunspot is wearing some high-hipped uh, unitard. Um, but yeah, and just are those supposed to be legs? Because I don't. They look like everyone has spider legs. Kind of is is weird and maybe almost cockroachy legs. Um, so you definitely have terrible panels sprinkled throughout. I think that's going to be my overall opinion of life. No, it is really great, really energetic with just terrible stuff sprinkled. Like when Boom Boom tries on a costume. What's going on with those legs? Are those even legs? I don't. I don't know. Um, but overall, uh, I like the way the new costumes look. I like Cable's design, even with this little funny jacket. Um, I like Lifebelt's Caliban. Pretty tough. Uh, like I said, I love his saber tooth. Um, and I like that the new mutants are surprised that Cable doesn't baby them. He kind of lets them do their thing, and they're like, oh, that's refreshing. Um, and also, last page, pretty awesome. It's uh, Cable, Wolfsbane, and Wolfform, Sunspot, Warlock, Boom Boom, and Cannonball, and they all look great. Cable has, like, bionic football pads on, and that's a little weird, I guess, but, man, that's a cool panel, which is pretty rad. Um, so, yeah, art, one and two terrible things. But overall, I actually like it a lot. Um, the story has a nice pace, a little mystery, and Sabretooth is awesome. Seeing Sabretooth in action with Liefeld hunting through the sewers, and I'll try to try to post some pictures because we have that opening one where he's on the attack, and then we have like where he's perched on a ledge is pretty great in the sewer. Um, he's pretty vicious with Richter. Uh, it's just Sabretooth comes off really well. Simonson, I'm uh, sorry, Wheezy. And Liefeld did just do really good with Sabretooth. It's a really nice appearance. Um, so I'm going to give New Mutants number 90 five out of six claws. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, 91. Have some fun. Um, this is... Gar! No, that's not what it's called. That is the first word you see, though. Um... Prey for the living, but prey like hunter and prey. P R E Y. Um, and looks like. Oh no, different team. So Weezy's still the plotter. Liefeld the penciler. Bart the inker again. But uh, Fabian Nicieza as the scripter. Rick Parker as the letters. And Mike Rockwitz as the colorist. Um, so we pick up kind of where we left off. Uh, oh wait, cover first. Um, I love this cover. Um, I wouldn't want it to be the only Sabretooth, but I like Liefeld's over-the-top wild Sabretooth. Almost like Wolverine hair times 100. Um, it's pretty cool. This is big blonde wings. And we have Sabretooth and Richter in the alley. Richter is cut up and knocked over. I'm sorry, Cable and Richter, I meant. Um, Cable has his funny headset with the long antenna and crazy Liefeld guns, including a triple-barreled pistol or maybe double-barreled. I can't tell if it's two in a weird angle or there's like a triangle, but we're only seeing the one on the side and the one on the top. Um, anyway, Sabretooth was tough, then tamed Cable. I love Liefeld skeletons um, in the mud of the sewer. Again, <laughs> Cable's feet uh, buried in the mud. And Richter's feet off panel and Sabretooth's feet behind Richter. So no no feet on the cover. 
That's too funny. It's too, it's classic. All right. Anyway, I really love this cover. So um, we start off in the issue with Sabretooth and Caliban having a really nice fight. Um, Richter recovers just enough to vibrate Sabretooth, but it just tickles. <laughs> so Sabretooth goes after him too. Cable and the New Mutants are looking for Rick in the tunnels, but bump into Mask and his Morlock muscle men. Cable smooth talks his way into Mask, letting them pass. They find Richter and get mad, but he's hurt. Uh, Wolfsbane and Cannonball hit Sabretooth while Cable and Sunspot attack Caliban. Boom Boom collapses the roof on Caliban, but Sabretooth sneaks off with Rick. After taunting his prey, Rick starts shaking the whole sewer. After Sabretooth taunts Rick, that is. Um, Rick starts shaking the whole sewer over Sabretooth. The new mutants hear it and come a-running. They save Rick, but... And then corner Sabretooth, but Mask and the Morlocks pop in and claim first dibs on the mutant massacre murderer. The new mutants agree to let the Morlocks have Sabretooth, but Caliban butts in again. He wants Sabretooth and he wants them now. Mask is scared of the new, of the new Caliban, so he acquiesces. Caliban breaks Sabretooth's back. Wow. The new mutants leave, presuming Sabretooth's dead. Um... Does nobody actually know Sabretooth's power set? Because people are always leaving him for dead, and he has a healing factor. But I guess, I mean, it's like no one knows that. It's weird. Um, so after Rick kills, he goes back to the danger room to practice. But Cable is in there kicking butt in a solo bolo. Rick is impressed and still doesn't trust Cable for mysterious reasons. But if you can't trust him, you can at least respect him. And he's starting to respect Cable and his ability as a fighter and a leader. Though, I don't know how someone can be a good leader if you don't trust them. Because how would you do what they say? It's weird. It's a weird conflicting emotion that Richter is going through. Um, anyway, the art was really great. Less of the uh, Liefeld foibles and just lots of really good action, especially the Sabretooth stuff. Um, and the story is great. I don't know if it's Fabian and you know, buffing up Simonson's plot a little bit, kind of, you know, doing the old punch-up on the script. But um, it really works Cable into the team organically and just really feels good. Um, and Sabretooth is great. He's nasty and violent and Sabretooth. Um, all the characters, just, and this really works. This book just really sings to me. Um, I'm going to give New Mutants 91 six out of six claws. I like it that much. Um, I mean, we're in a really fun point in New Mutants world, you know, getting ready for the, the march towards X-Force. Um, but man, I really, really love that comic book. So there you go. All the Liefeld haters can just uh, keep on hating, but I think there's a lot of really good stuff to his art, and I know uh, Mr. John Wilson will agree with me, and, you know, that's all that matters. <laughs> I got him in my corner. Um, speaking of which, if you like old comics, uh, go listen to uh, Make Ours Marvel, where he and Michael Kaiser are kicking butt and taking <coughs> 60s Marvel names, I guess. Um, yeah, but no, it's really good. So go go check it out. Um, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. That was our Summer Clearance 1990 edition. It's kind of move some stuff out of the way, the next flashback episode will be Wild Child, and hope to have some guests on for that one. Um, 
with a couple of different wild child stories that came out around the same time with Wolverine. So we'll tackle those together, um, hopefully. And that'll be next. Um, I don't know what will be next total episode-wise, because I'm not real sure when I'm going to put this out, to be honest. Um, I know when I'm recording it right now. <laughs> Ooh, that's vague. Um, but yeah, I don't know when it'll come out, so I don't really know what will be next that way, but I do know the next flashback. So there you go. Well, as usual, um, please like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Um, show notes and stuff are at SnickCast.Podbean.com. And that's it. So until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. Bye-bye. And snacked.